About 10 years ago, Henry Kolebjian, a proud coffee shop owner in San Francisco, had a problem. He was getting old and needed help running the place. But his children weren't interested in the family business. Wow. That's a very, very sad story. I think there will be times I will cry. I will get mad at my kids that they did not take over. Henry had built up Henry's House of Coffee from nothing. It had kept generations of local residents well-caffeinated. Once in a while, I see a young gentleman comes with a kid and turns around and says, this man, when I, when I was your age, my dad used to come and he used to teach how to make coffee to my dad. And now he taught to me, now he's going to teach you. It gives me great, great, great pleasure. Who would take care of his loyal customers? Who would carry on his legacy? After months of lowball offers from unfriendly business types, Henry finally found someone to take over. But then things quickly went sideways. It really hurts me to see how he's changing the store. You know, it is my home. The guy ruining his business? His own son. This is Home Made, an original podcast by Rocket Mortgage about the meaning of homes and what we can learn about ourselves in them. I'm Stephanie Fu. In this episode, two people with difficult, distant fathers who decide to go home and rebuild their relationships with them. Henry's House of Coffee sat in the Outer Sunset District of San Francisco, near Golden Gate Park. Coffee shops are a dime a dozen, but the House of Coffee was different. Next to the counter, you could find a 12-kilo roaster where Henry would turn green coffee beans into fragrant brown ones all day long. Henry is Armenian. He came to America from Lebanon to pursue a career in mechanical drafting. But when those jobs dried up in the early 80s, someone told him about a small Middle Eastern corner store for sale. When Henry saw a roaster there, he decided his future was in coffee, not groceries. Starbucks was becoming a thing, so he turned the store into a cafe. Henry perfected his roast. People started coming in for cups of coffee and bags of beans. And the shop did well enough that Henry opened three other locations. The chain thrived for decades. But then Henry started to slow down. He was now in his 70s, so he sold or shut down his three satellite cafes and looked for someone to take over the flagship location. In Armenian culture, there's an unspoken understanding that the family business will pass to the children. So when Henry's son, Hrog, was a young boy, he would take him to the cafe. I hated it because when I would work with him, it was on the weekends, and I wanted to watch cartoons, I wanted to play with my friends. Up front, Henry was having a grand old time. Yeah, he was selling coffee, but this was his, his extended family. He was laughing and chatting up a storm with his customers. Kind of the opposite of what he was like at home. My dad was working seven days a week, so I missed out on playing soccer with my dad or uh, going to the park with my dad. And yeah, you know, we, we spent time together, but uh, I think most of the time it was him just kind of trying to take a break from work. And the challenge there is you're also taking a break from your kids. That challenge transferred from father to son when, after college, 
Prague started working as a business analyst. He was constantly on the road, traveling from one sales office to another, and Henry recognized this behavior. And I said, damn it, he's going through the same thing that I am going through. I felt guilty. I felt sad. I did a big, big mistake in my life that I did not enjoy my kids on the weekends. I said, look, Karak, why don't you come and take over this business? Henry thought his son could profit from his own sacrifice, take it easier than he'd had it, not have to work every weekend, spend more time with his own young family. But at first, Krog wasn't interested. He was making good money doing what he loved, exploring the mathematics behind big business. During those meetings, I would have wonderful insights on how business is run. And I slowly started thinking about, oh, I wonder how my dad does that. Eventually, the prospect seemed more and more compelling. It was the same math, same challenges he was looking at, just on a smaller scale. Over time, the travel started to wear on Hrog. Corporate bureaucracy was frustrating. His work was getting more competitive. All of these things could be solved by just accepting his father's offer. I look at my wife, and we were so happy and that somebody is going to take over. On a sunny San Francisco day in 2013, Hrog showed up for his first shift at Henry's House of Coffee. My first day stepping into the into the cafe was a little bit of anxiety, if I'm being honest. Hmm, like, did I make the right decision here? I am talking to customers. I'm, I'm smelling the, the milk steaming and the coffee brewing. I'm stepping on tile that has coffee grinds on it. Now I'm like a barista and I'm, you know, it just, it didn't feel sexy to me. These were the terms of Frog's employment. He had to work his way up from the bottom, make the drinks, mend the cash register, clean the toilets. Until Frog could earn the trust of the employees and longtime customers, Henry was still the boss. The difference between all this and his former life, corporate office, direct reports, expense account, was a lot to process. Everything in his father's cafe was old school. The cash register didn't even calculate change. I was not expecting like, oh crap, yeah, that's right. He gave me a 20, uh, product cost 275. So I had to quick, like for a split second there, I was like paused, like frozen, like, uh, how do I do this? How did my dad ever, like, I, I gave him a lot of credit because I was like, I've been spending 80% of my time just dealing with employee stuff. Like, how do you even find time to roast? How do you feel, find time to market? How do you find time to bring in new products? Like, this sucks. This is not fun. It was tough. So after that first six months, I feel like psychologically I was back in the back of the shop as a 12-year-old, like not watching cartoons. And I thought, shit, like, I think I made a mistake. Coffee life was a grind, way harder than Hrog expected. On the one hand, he was impressed with his father's skills. On the other hand, something had to change for him to stay. After paying his dues for six months, Frog decided to step out from behind the counter and start making some changes. He'd noticed that they would always run out of milk midweek, and Henry would just drive to a corner store and get more. So Frog calculated the amount of milk needed, created a milk order form, and hired a delivery service at a higher cost. This was Frog's first business move. Henry flipped out. When he wants to do something, he does it without telling me. That pisses me off. I said, no, I like to go and buy. 
They got into a big argument in front of the customers, and then it followed them home, over a few gallons of milk. You're an 80 years old man, 50, 60 years, you build something, somebody comes and takes it away from you. How do you feel? It hurts you. It was like Krog had come into Henry's home and rearranged the furniture overnight. You don't grow up telling your dad what to do. <laughs> you don't tell your dad that uh, he needs to do what he's been doing for 30 years a different way. But when you're business partners, you have to, especially if it's something that you feel like it has to be done. I mean, look, if, if you want to grow and you want to take the business to the next level, you want to be efficient. And me personally, I want to have a balanced life where I can be with my children. I'm going to change stuff. And I'm sorry if you don't like it, but just stick with me. It's, it's for the better. That took some time. As Frog dove deeper into Henry's business, he saw it wasn't structured for a balanced lifestyle. But he also saw a solution to it, a business solution. He just needed some help getting Henry to agree to it. So he turned to the one person who could help, his mother. In Lebanese culture, that's the trick. The moms have a very good way of convincing the dads on to do certain things. With Henry at work all the time, growing up, Prague's mother ran the household. And she was the one who the kids turned to when they had a problem with their dad. But the other reason Hrog turned to his mom was because she was the coffee shop's bookkeeper. She'd looked after their financials since the beginning. So my mom's like, oh my God, this is brilliant. You're so amazing. My dad's like silent the whole time. So at one point I cut my mom off. I'm like, dad, what do you think? And he's like, in Armenian, he says, I feel like everything's being taken from me. And I was like, what the f*** do you mean everything is being taken from me? This is a little, shitty, tiny, stupid little milk form that you don't even do yourself. That was what was going on in my head. I didn't actively say this out loud. Instead, Hrog's mom broke down the new approach for Henry and explained why it was good for business. She also endorsed Hrog's next idea, to cut down on the amount of different blends the coffee shop sold in order to save money. At the same time, Hrog realized he couldn't always run to his mother for support. And as I thought about it that night, I thought, okay, I need to make sure that my father feels valued in this business because if he's reacting this way to a milk order form, how is he going to feel when I rebrand the business or I get rid of coffees that don't sell? Because that's what Rog did. He updated the look of the cafe and revamped its online business. Just like with his dad, Rog explained these new policies gently to the customers— why their favorite blend was no longer on the menu, or why some of them no longer got a free latte with their bag of beans. And those decisions started to pay off, especially online. They went from just 24 orders a month to thousands a day. And now that the business is a lot more digital, it kind of runs itself. So Prague and Henry can spend more time just hanging out. The time together has been really valuable for both of them. On Halloween, my dad, he will put on a wig or some funky thing because it's Halloween. I was like, wait a minute, like we never even went trick-or-treating together. But this guy in his shop, you know, he's like Halloween guy giving away candy to kids and stuff. I mean, it was, I kind of looked at him in a, in a different light. Like, oh yeah, my dad's kind of a cool, funny guy. And I learned things about him that I didn't know. He tells me stories. Just, you know, these are things that I didn't have when I was a kid. I've gotten a lot closer with my dad because of business, which is funny because that was the exact opposite as a kid, right? These days, Prague is the boss. 
Henry only comes in for half a day, a few times a week. But Frog has found a way to make his dad still feel valued. The bean has received the right temperature. You just increase the flame. Henry is the head roaster. That's his domain. And Henry leaves the rest to Frog. Me, let go? I did let go. What else do I want? When I see myself and my kid, makes me very proud. Very proud. Especially what Parag is doing now. The same thing that I used to do. It brings the family all together. When you're a 12-year-old, you don't know all the things that it takes to be a parent. So it's actually given me a lot of foresight into how to be a better father with, with my kids because of what my father has taught me. Finally getting to spend quality time with his father has taught Frog the value of doing the same with his own kids. To not work all the time, to not be tired and distant at home. And he hopes that by doing so, maybe one day the coffee shop will pass to the next generation. On Hrog's first day at the House of Coffee, his wife took a picture of him and Henry. That picture is now printed on every bag of beans they sell. Father and son at home together in business. In our next story, a woman goes home to spend some time with her father. Time she didn't get as a child. But she has another agenda in mind to capture family memories before it's too late. A few years ago, Holly Patton was flying home from New York to Nashville. In the seats across from her, a group of boisterous girls were laughing, kicking off their bachelorette party. But for Holly, this trip had a very different mood. I love visiting my family. I love I love Nashville, but I was coming back to really get into some of the the parts of my current life and that were really, really painful and sad. Holly first noticed that something was wrong with her dad a couple years earlier, at her wedding. The night before the ceremony, everyone was getting ready to go to the rehearsal dinner. I'm standing at the top of the stairs. I hear my mom in the living room ask my dad to go get dressed. And he says, for what? He'd forgotten about the wedding. I think that's honestly what's sad about memory loss as a whole is that it doesn't really discriminate against certain memories because I don't think that he he wasn't trying to block that out. Of course, yeah. For years, Holly's dad had been absent-minded. But now the family realized something more serious was going on. Finally, they got the diagnosis, dementia. When Holly's mom told her about it, I remember just being immediately sad because I know how important memory is to my entire family, but to especially my dad. Growing up, home was a busy place. Her parents had nine kids. Holly's dad was always telling stories and cracking jokes. But there was another side to him that she remembers. Dad and I, we were never close. His emotional availability was, it was just really surface level, I would say. He was kind to me. I never doubted that he loved me. We got along as well as I think we could have gotten along. So Holly didn't really get to know her emotionally removed father. And now there was no way of predicting when his memory might fully go. Like there was an expiration date on building a better relationship with him. 
You just don't really know what the timeline is, what memories will go first, or what memories will stick around. One thing Holly knew about her dad was that he loved football. He played in high school and then at Vanderbilt University. He also coached her brothers, but she didn't know the details of what the sport meant to him. I knew that football was foundational for him. And I wanted to hear him, gosh, I wanted to hear him hash out some memories because I knew that it's 22 years of his life. I knew that he had memories that he had never talked about with me. So Holly had an idea. To get to know her dad better, she should start with the football. Ask him questions that would maybe spark his memory. Learn about who he was and the choices he made as a teenager and young adult. She decided to fly down to Nashville. But as she got ready to go, something occurred to her. What if they went on a road trip to those football fields, the ones her father played on back then? Maybe the physical environments would unlock memories and feelings. Maybe they wouldn't, but it was worth a try. She mentioned it to him, and he was really excited to do it. More excited than she expected. Were you nervous? I hadn't spent this much alone time with my dad in maybe ever. Yeah, long story short, heavy, nervous. Holly and her father had barely ever shared a single extended conversation. And now they were setting off, just the two of them, for hours of talking. The first stop was three hours away, a town called Sweetwater, where he'd attended high school. She recorded a bunch of their conversations in voice memos. So you ready to go? Do you know where you're going? It was actually really cool because my dad knew exactly where he was going as soon as we pulled in off the exit. Remembered the road names, remembered everything. So he got out of the car and was just taking me around everywhere. He showed Holly his old history classroom, his old Bible classroom. They walked over to specific windows and mobiles. But the school had closed a long time ago and the grounds had become neglected. Crumbling buildings, overgrown weeds... My dad is not, a, he's not an overly emotional person, but he kind of just said, this is sad. But then they headed to the football field. It was like watching a kid at some points and remembering football plays, remembering just carefree glory of childhood. And so getting able to be a part of that and him letting me into that was, was really fun just to see just a different side of my dad that I hadn't seen, at least in a long time. And it was truly astounding to see some of the memories he could come up with, just like names of people. And he remembered the name of the recruiter from Ole Miss that came to talk to him and the recruiter from the University of Alabama that came, like just random things. The coach, uh, the, the coach that, that offered me a scholarship at Alabama was Coach Sloan. Yeah. Who became a head coach at Vanderbilt. I learned that deeper than that was what football gave him. And that was a sense of belonging and a sense of place. After that, Holly and her dad drove to Vanderbilt. He marveled at the modern facilities, the top-level trainers and private chefs. He told Holly how he'd met her mother there. She felt like she was finally seeing a fuller picture of him. Like who he was becoming at that point in his life, of who he was becoming as a, as a man and his, you know, his relationship with my mom and his career aspirations. And I mean, he, he and my mom had their first child when they were 22. And so they were really, really young parents. He told Holly about not knowing what to do with his life after college, what he wanted life to look like for himself and her mom. 
she didn't know that he'd seriously considered playing pro football before deciding to go into the Navy. Some of the feelings he talked about in, in trying to figure that out, I resonated with me just because I, like, I'm still actively trying to figure things out. Finally, they visited her old high school, and a flood of memories came back to Holly, too. All of the places she used to hang with friends, learning how to drive, the family dog, and, of course, Friday night football games. Ones where her father used to coach her brothers. The memory of those games came back to him as easy as turning on a switch. He can remember details about my brother's high school football teams that are honestly astounding. I'm like, how, how do you remember that? After visiting all three schools, it was time to drive home. But the conversation was easier now that he'd loosened up and shared so much with her. He seemed so much more open than he'd ever been before. And so the conversation started turning towards the elephant in the room. How he felt about his dementia. Is it is it hard to talk about it with your kids? You're, you're kind of the first one that really dealt with any kind of depth of conversation. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I also want to stay, quote unquote, as normal as possible because I don't want mom to feel like, well, okay, you know, here's some more heavy lifting I gotta do. Yeah. I don't want to be any more of a burden to her than I am. He was less worried about his own experience than about the pain it would put his family through. There's some definite selflessness, and there's also just an extreme strain of independence, I think. Not wanting to have to rely on people, I guess, in in that way. And then finally, after a day full of memories about his high school, about football, about our brothers, Holly needed to know, what did her dad remember about her? What memories did he have left of her childhood? The following clip is a little hard to hear. I'm lacking a lot of specific details. It's not gone, gone. I want some history that's become faint. But Holly's dad said that he couldn't really remember many specific details about her childhood. Finally, here were some memories he couldn't unlock. Holly stopped recording at this point, and she told him this was very hurtful to her. Did he apologize? Like, do you, what did he say? Do you remember? I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, and it, I may have blocked it out because it was painful. That's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember it being overly emotional or anything, um, but I remember him listening and receiving it, and that's something. But he did tell her this. On the positive side of things, you know, I didn't really have to worry about you. I didn't think that you were going to do anything that was going to send you down a bad path. And in a way, I was, I took that as a compliment. I was like, oh, I'm so glad that, (laughs) you know, you thought highly of me in that way. But also looking back on my own life and knowing how much I've, I've had moments of flailing and, and really not being certain about anything and later on was like, maybe that just means I haven't really shown them what was going on internally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you had also been too, like your dad had been too afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah, 100%. My dad and I are, are very, very similar in a lot of, lot of different ways. I heard some of the same things in his answers that I process in my own Of course, people with dementia don't have control over the memories they keep or lose. This wasn't her father's fault. 
but Holly couldn't help assigning meaning to why the memories involving her weren't important enough to stay. Holly thought maybe her dad didn't have any memories of her childhood because he'd been distant or he hadn't been paying attention. But as Holly looked back on her life, she realized maybe it was because she always tried to make herself small. Whenever she'd struggled through anything as a kid, she swept it under the rug. She thought now she should have asked for help, should have been more genuine instead of stubbornly independent, just like her father. So do you feel like it's encouraged you to be more vulnerable to the people around you? I do, but I think also just I'm the only person that can do that, that can summon that courage or willpower to to say something because watching my dad, there's just been something all the time that can pull one away from, you know, speaking up and asking for something. But I definitely am more keen to just to recognize some things that don't need to be shoved away. In the years since this happened, Holly's dad's dementia has progressed. He hasn't gotten back his memories of her from the past. But now, maybe because of that, he seems more determined than ever to spend as much of the present with her as possible. When Holly goes home to Nashville, he wants to go everywhere with her. He asks to follow her to the grocery store, to sit chatting with her on the porch. Holly's gone from having no one-on-one time with her dad to having hours and hours of his attention. And while she didn't get what she first came for, his memories of her, she can create different memories that she will remember. When they hang out, Holly's dad asks her this question. What are your plans for the future? It's a small thing, really, but it means a lot to her. Because that question is an offer, an effort to finally allow her to be seen. You've been listening to Home Made by Rocket Mortgage. My name is Stephanie Fu. You can reach us at rocketmortgage.com slash homemade. Thanks for listening. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030.